0: Good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good. Well, my name is Chad. If you're a first-time guest with us, I am the student and worship uh, pastor here. Uh, Our pastor, Joe, is with a group of men in Washington, D.C. at a conference. And uh, so every now and then I get the opportunity to to stand up here without a guitar and and, uh, and speak. Uh, I get to speak to the To the students uh, every week, and so I do know how to keep a message short and precise because that's what you have to do when you're speaking to to students. I know the Titans kick off at noon, so uh, we're good there. Just know that I know these things, and so preach on. And so, Paige, uh, if you uh, go ahead and make your way, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that. This morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 20. This is the same chapter that we were in last week that Joe started us in. If you have a Bible in, uh, in the, the pews in front of you there, that's on page 880. If you don't have a Bible of your own and you need a Bible, please feel free to take that one with you as, as, our, guest, or as our gift uh, to you. And so last week, Joe looked at um started this in chapter 20 looked at uh the religious leaders had come to Jesus attempting to to set a trap for him they asked him uh if it was lawful to give tribute to Caesar uh of course um they do this by kind of setting him up and uh kind of uh, pretending to um care about that, you know, they respect his teaching and that he's a good teacher and kind of butter him up a little bit as they ask him, ask him this question. They think that they've got him in a jam that he's not going to be able to uh, to make his way out of. And of course, he responds in a faithful, biblical way and te- and gives us a great lesson on the importance of how we are to live in respect uh, to government, uh, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and rendering unto God what is God's, and so as we move into this uh, portion of uh, Luke chapter twenty, we really have more of the same. Uh, the religious leaders come to him with this kind of snarky question, uh, and um, you know they're 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 just trying to snare him again, trying to entrap him again. Now, some of you may have experienced this kind of thing in your Christian walk. You know, you you have uh, friends that are skeptics, friends that are uh, just you know uh, hostile towards the gospel, and they'll they'll come to you and they'll give you these you know these questions like you know, well if God is so powerful, can 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 he make a rock so heavy that even he can't lift it? You know, you ever had that that question? Uh, we're not going to tackle that today. In case you're wondering, the answer to that. John, John will do a, pa, uh, a message on that later on. We're going to get him to get him to do that and, you know, answer the question: Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? You know, those those kind of things that <laughs> the deep theological questions that we're all interested in. So we'll we'll do those. But let's go ahead and look at this. We'll jump right in here to Luke chapter 20, uh, starting at verse 27. We will read all the way through verse 47. There came to him some Sadducees who denied that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second And the third took her, and likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterwards, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age And now he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in, the hearing of, <clears throat> and in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And so as we, we dive into this, uh, many of you may be sitting there like I was the first time I read through this and went, huh? What was that I just read? Um, well, let's, let's look at a, a couple of things here. Let's understand a couple of things about this group that Jesus is dealing with now, the Sadducees. Now, this is the one and only mention of the Sadducees in the book of Luke. They had many conflicts uh, of belief with the Pharisees, including this belief that Jesus is talking to them about right now. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they only accepted the the Pentateuch, the first five books uh, of the Bible, written by Moses, and so, uh, and so, this is this is who we're dealing with this morning. It kind of helps us to understand when we put it in context of you know who they are, what they believe, and that kind of thing. Now, there, uh, so you know, even looking at this, there even in Jesus's day, there were critics of. The res, of the resurrection, if you do just a a quick little Google search um, on there and just put in something like pastors who deny the resurrection or church leaders who deny the resurrection, something similar to that, I promise you, you're going to find more than you can read in this um, in this quick little Google search. And so I kind of skimmed through a lot of those kind of uh, responses in preparation this week and kind of boiled it all down to and or boiled it all down to something that uh, I, kind of the most frequent thing that was said and the reason that these pastors and church leaders uh, deny the resurrection is because quite honestly they just don't feel like it's important enough of an issue to divide people over they just they don't They don't feel like it's important enough to divide people over. And so they feel like it's more important what we do as believers. It's more important how we live, how we uh, treat the poor, how we how we give and how we, you know, uh, do acts of kindness to other people. They feel like that's more important. Well, let's understand in this passage that this is not Jesus's attitude on this subject. And so we're going to look at how he he tackles it there. So in an effort to alienate him from his followers, they're going to throw out this scenario. Moses's law uh, is if a man dies and his his brother must marry the widow and take on the family. And so they they take that and kind of amp it up to a ridiculous you know proportion. And so they they throw out this scenario. There's a man who has seven brothers, and his, he dies, and, and so the next brother marries the wife, and then he dies, and the next brother marries the wife, and he dies, and the next brother marries the wife, and he dies, and goes on and on to, you know, number seven. So just jumping outside of that for just a second here, you know, you got to think if your brother number four you're just like, now we're we're done. We're done here. This is it. There's something weird going on here. So there is an interesting parallel to this um, account in the book of Matthew. And Matthew records something uh, that Luke doesn't. Jesus tells them, um, I know why you deny the resurrection. And so You don't have to turn over there, I'll read it to you, but write it down on your notes and you can go back and look at it if you want to. Matthew 22, verse 29 says, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You don't know your Bible and you don't understand the power of God. And I feel like Jesus is saying that to the critics that we that I was talking about a minute ago that we read today, because what they say is in the, in the, in the world today, it's hard for people who are so knowledgeable about basic scientific evidence and facts to, to believe that a person could be raised from the dead. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Right? That people don't just rise from the dead. But if we understand the the power of God, the God who who holds everything in the palm of his hand, that's not that big of a stretch to believe that, right? And so Jesus is, is... saying that in the book of Matthew, but he takes them here. Luke tells us he takes them to Exodus uh, chapter three. And this is one of the books that they claim to be, you know, one of the only legitimate books um, of the Bible. And he and he reads that uh, to them. And he says, remember when God was talking to Moses from the burning bush And he identifies himself as, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God. Not, I was the God. I am the God. And so, number one in your notes, Jesus teaches The resurrection from Scripture. The resurrection is an essential doctrine to the Christian faith. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection... Of the dead, then even Christ, then not even Christ, sorry, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And Paul is saying here if the resurrection is not real, then our faith is in vain. What's the point? And we might as well just throw up a for sale sign here in the front yard. Let some developer come in and put, what can they get, like 30 houses in here? Some, like, you know, 30 houses in here. Just, we can stay home and watch football on Sunday. The resurrection of, of Christ is essential. Is essential to our faith. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, some people approach me. He's talking about um, Scripture here. He says, some, some people approach me and say, I really struggle with this part of Scripture, but I like this part of Scripture. I struggle with this, but I like this. So I want to throw this out, and I want to keep this. And Tim, Tim Keller says, my usual response to this is, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't. Then why worry about anything. That he said. If he rose from the dead. We have to accept. All that he said. And if he didn't. We don't have to worry about any of it. And that's what Paul is saying. It's all. All. In vain. It's pointless. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Second, in your notes, and this comes from Mark Dever. This is where this is where Joe and uh, the the guys are this week. This is a, a, a quote from him. This is Jesus had such a high view of scripture, he based his whole argument on the tense of a verb. Jesus had such a high view of scripture, he based his whole argument on the tense of a verb. We should also have that high view of scripture. that we know that every, as Jesus said, every jot and tittle of Scripture will be fulfilled. We jump down just a bit in Jesus' response, so I want to jump back up a little bit to, uh, to verse 34 because there's some things here that uh, are really important that we need to look at. So jump back up to verse 34 in uh, Luke chapter 20. The sons of this age marry... And are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain that age and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. And what Jesus is saying to us here is there there are some things, there are things in this, uh, well actually he's saying you don't understand um, the age that is coming. The age that is coming is going to be fundamentally different than what we now experience. And what he's talking about here is is heaven. He's He's talking about the things of heaven are fundamentally different than the things of earth. Now, there's one thing here I just want to kind of clarify that, you know, it says those who are considered worthy. Okay, what does that mean? How do you get considered worthy? What's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's, he's talking about himself. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about grace. And so we are considered worthy, uh, those who accept Christ, by by grace alone, by faith alone, and through Christ alone. If we want to experience the resurrection, we must be counted as Righteous. And since we're not righteous, none of us are righteous. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5. That's the only way. And so those who are considered worthy to experience the age to come, to experience heaven, Jesus is saying the heaven is is fundamentally different than what we experience now. And we've really gotten kind of, I don't know how this really happened. We've really gotten kind of a warped view of of heaven and, and what heaven is like. This this uh, this idea that, you know, when you die, you kind of you kind of get these little wings and uh, you get a harp and a halo and, you know, just kind of float up uh, to heaven to live in this ethereal place in in the clouds. I call this the Tom and Jerry theology uh, because, you know, that's what happens to Tom when when Jerry runs over him with the, the steamroller and, you know. You know, floats up to to heaven and you know, little cat heaven, I guess, and to be. I don't think cats go to heaven, but that's a whole nother, you know, <laughs> issue. But <laughs> um, you know, to uh, to uh, you know, to to float around in the clouds and 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 so we've kind of developed this kind of this warped idea of heaven. I even see it. You know, I see I see people. Uh, Post things on their, you know, their Facebook, like uh, talking about a loved one, like heaven's gained another angel, you know, those kind of things, and and, I, and I'm not trying to diminish that. I know they're they're posting that from a from a hurting heart and a and a, and, a, and a, from a place of grieving, um, but it does kind of perpetuate this idea that we don't become angels when we die. Angels are a, a separate uh, creation of God they're a separate category uh, of God and so and you know another now one, now there are a few things that that we can get from uh, our experience here on earth that you know will translate but like we will have a body you know new in the uh, revelations 21 uh, new heavens new earth we will have a body it'll be a perfected body it, it, it'll be I don't know you know what that looks like I, I've got great hopes uh, that it's way better than this, but, um, but you know, uh, it'll be, it'll be a perfected body. But one of the things that Jesus says to us here too, are there, that he says to us, uh, to the, uh, Sadducees here is that, um, it also, there, there won't, uh, it means that we, you won't be married in heaven. We won't, there will be no marriage in, in heaven. Now, um, what does that What does that mean? What does that look like? And I think it comes from you know this idea that marriage here on earth has a specific purpose and a, a specific meaning, but I just just look at it and you know kind of a, kind of in, in my life okay so my dad uh, was married to my mom and uh, and uh, when I was ten years old she she died and she she had cancer and she and she died and then a few years later he married. Uh, my stepmom becky and and then they were married for about fifteen years and she got leukemia and she died and now he 's married to a, a nice lady again so so in heaven you know it 's kind of the same well whose wife would you know it 's kind of that, that same question but but we 're thinking on that wrongly right, you know we 're thinking different now now what does that mean? Does that mean we won 't know our spouse in heaven no i don't I don't think that i don 't have any way to know that but I don't I don't think that. I think we will know that this is a person that we had a special relationship with that we that we uh you know were uh connected to somehow but the point is the purpose of heaven is not that. The purpose of heaven the the point of heaven is the glory of God. And I think that we'll be so um consumed with that that we won't those things really won't matter but the, the point is is that we just really can't understand these things we can't even get a concept of eternity right just think just i want to two seconds think about eternity it's it's hard to do everything we know has a beginning and an end we're born and we die we talk about things like a million years. Okay, a million years is something that we can't even fathom. And that's that long in, it, in the span of eternity. We can't, we can't grasp the things of heaven. In 1985, there was a movie that came out that starred Cher. Uh, the movie was called Mask. I will go ahead and throw a disclaimer up right here. I have only seen the TV version of this movie so if there are things in this movie that are inappropriate, <laughs> I haven't seen them, okay? This is just the, the TV version. But there is a cool illustration in this, uh, in this movie. There's a, the main character of the movie is a, is a teenager by the name of Rocky. Rocky has severe facial uh, disformity. He has uh, some, some kind of disease that causes his, his head to be enlarged and, and, uh, and a severe a disformity. And Rocky volunteers at a camp for blind kids... Uh, because he feels like if he if they can't see his face they'll judge him you know for for who he is and not for what he looks like and so during the camp he develops a relationship with a, a young lady at the camp this young lady has been blind since birth and so when Rocky talks about colors and clouds and things like that she just she can't grasp this she's never had sight so she's never been able to see these things so Rocky is determined to kind of figure out how to make her understand what this is. And so he takes a rock, and he puts it in the refrigerator in the kitchen of the camp, and he takes another rock, and he puts it in the oven. So he he goes and gets the girl, and he brings her in, and he takes the rock out of the refrigerator, and he puts it in her hands. She feels the coldness of the rock, and he says, That is blue. That's what blue is like. Okay, so then he takes the rock out of the oven and he puts it in her hand, and it's warm, uh, you know, almost hot, and she she comments about that, and he says, that's red. That's what red is like. And then he takes cotton balls, and he, he puts them in her hand, and she, you know, feels of them, and it's like, okay, so that's, that's a cloud. That's what clouds are like. And so, of course, she can never see clouds. She can never see colors, but Using this, she has some idea of what they are like. And so the Bible kind of adapts a similar strategy to what Rocky's talking about because we can't experience or we can't possibly understand exactly what heaven and eternity are like because we've never experienced that. And that's what the Bible is, is doing for us here. So number three in your notes is the Bible draws pictures of heaven using illustrations of things that we already know. Things that we already know. Streets of gold. Mansions. Those kind of illustrations kind of help us understand a little bit, but we can't know exactly what heaven is going to be. Now Jesus has been dealing with Sadducees on this question. And the Pharisees are loving this because they disagree with the Sadducees on this question as well. And they're just happy he's not railing on them for a change. And so. That is short lived. Uh, Jesus turns in. Verse thirty nine. Which I kind of love this. This picture says, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees says, teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dare to ask him any questions. Now, Jesus is saying, well, I can see that you're not going to ask me a question. So I'm going to ask you a question. And you can just kind of see them kind of sink here. And it says, Jesus says. How is it possible that David's son could also have been David's Lord? How is it possible that David's son could also have been David's Lord? Now, just a, a side note here, I never want to assume that people understand terms in the Bible, and we we always wanna we always want to f- uh, flesh those out. So 17 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Who is David? Okay, we're talking about King David, David and Goliath, David and Bathsheba, that that David. Okay, he is referred to as that. Now, how is this? David lived about a thousand years before Jesus. And the answer is that Christ, the Messiah, was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the seed of David. And so uh, you don't have to turn to this, but write it down so you can go look at it later. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through sixteen. Now, this is an issue for the Pharisees because they have a high regard for Scripture. And in Jesus' day, the Jewish people, the ancestors, were thought of as greater than their descendants. And so these two things are not meshing well together. But the bigger question is, so why is Jesus bringing this up? What, what, is he, what is he doing here? Remember we talked about, Joe talked about last week, the time span that all this is happening is about Tuesday or Wednesday before Good Friday. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And so he wants them to understand something about his lordship. He wants them to understand something about his lordship, that he is not just a political king. He is or he's not 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 just he's not <laughs> a political king. He is he's not just simply of the Davidic line who is going to make the Jewish people a mighty nation again, Jesus is pressing them to answer a question. And that question is, who am I? Who am I? In verses 45 through 47, he goes on to talk, to uh, talk about the hypocrites, talk about being hip- hypocritical in your, in your faith, uh, he goes on, you know, he warns the disciples to beware of those who come to the place uh, of worship just to be seen. To sit in the best places at the, in the temple, to sit in the best places at the feast, It reminds me of of a quote from Winston Churchill who said, I am easily satisfied with the best. They are easily satisfied with the best. The best places in in the temple. The best seats at the feast. And then turn around and steal the property of a widow. And they make Long prayers uh, as pretense. Beware of those whose faith is nothing but a show. And he's asking them, Who am I? Who am I? I know that we have read this quote before, but as I was trying to think of a a way to to uh, express this. Uh, I, I can't come up with anything better than than C. s. Lewis does. And so I want to read this this quote from c. s. Lewis. It says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say. About him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut shut him up a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is the question that we have to ask. Who is Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord of all and worthy of all of our adoration? And worthy of our lives? And worthy of all of our attention and all of our focus? that's the question this morning. Let's pray. Father Lord God. Lord, we pray. <clears throat> Father, as we as we go through in our in our hearts and our minds this morning, That question, who am I? Lord God, I pray that, that that you would draw people unto yourself. Father, I know that there are those that are here this morning that are not believers. They're here. For reasons that probably they don't even understand and Father my my urging for them is, that, is to understand that nothing happens out of chance there's a purpose for them being here today and Father I know that there are those that have been wrestling with the, the question of faith and, and what they believe and Father I pray that they don't walk out of this place today without talking to someone about that and I know that there are those that are here that are have been hanging around the church for a while and just not committed to this body of Christ and Father maybe today is the is the day for that and so Father as we wrestle with these things I pray Lord that you would give us clarity I pray that you would Open our hearts and our minds to your word this morning as we sing. It's in your name we pray. Amen.